Father, thank you that you love us with an immeasurable love. And when we look at it, it makes no sense to us that you would love us while we are yet sinners. You didn't love us because of our potential. You didn't love us because we were good. You loved us while we were still sinning. You sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And we are filled with gratitude here in this place today. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you turn around to your neighbors? Tell them you're glad to see them. I am so glad to see you here today. It is uh, the week before Thanksgiving, and uh, you and I have a lot to be very thankful for. We live in an amazing country. God has blessed us with the privilege of having freedoms that a lot of the world doesn't have. And most of us this morning had food to eat if we wanted it, and uh, so we're blessed in that way. We have air to breathe. That's a gift from God. And we have an amazing church that we get to be a part of. Of course, we're not perfect. Uh, we're made up of people, and anywhere a couple of people gather, there's going to be some awkwardness and some uh, challenges, but we're blessed to be a part of a group of people who love the Lord and love this community, and Pastor Will, who leads not only worship, but our outreach ministry, was telling you a little bit about that in that uh, kind of welcome and prayer time that he was doing, how a group of folks gathered in this place and went out and served uh, the New Life Mission. Sometimes we call it the Hamilton Mission. This year, is one of our strategic partners, where uh, every month, a group of this congregation went to serve that place, and they made meals. Uh, this year, almost 35,000 meals were served from the Hamilton Mission. That's incredible. Many of those were packed by Four Corners people, and they took food, and they cleaned the building so that people who were coming to get help would be able to be engaged in a clean and welcoming environment. And I just am so thrilled to be a part of a congregation that loves this community in that way. So this is our fifth and final week of a message series called Shadows, and we're looking at spiritual warfare. It's not a subject that gets a lot of attention sometimes in churches, although it should because the Bible, the Bible, can you hear me? You can hear me? All right, I have no idea what happened. Let's make sure that doesn't happen again, all right? Whatever that was. Hey, um, you know, just, that's, just, that's an important note. Nine times out of ten, in fact, I'm going to say 99 times out of 100, the team that makes sure the tech in this room happens does a phenomenal job. And the 1% that it doesn't go well, half of those or more are my fault, in all honesty. So would you right now just express your gratitude to that team that does a great job for us? It's incredible what they do. Honestly, these folks serve with incredible uh, excellence, and uh, they're all volunteers, and they make it happen. So guys, thank you. And uh, I'll try to make sure that I don't hit my pack. And uh, anyway, so we're in the fifth and final weeks of Shadows. We're looking at um, spiritual warfare. And this is not a thing that gets talked about a whole lot, although it should, because the Bible's full of language about spiritual warfare. But most of us, when we come to that topic, we feel a little ill-equipped. Sometimes we don't know all that we could know to help us with it. And sometimes, here's one of the real challenges, we don't even see the spiritual warfare that we're a part of. We don't even realize that some of the challenges we're going through, some of the difficulties we're facing, some of the uphill climb that we have is at its core a spiritual challenge. And that's the case with today that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this spiritual dynamic that Jesus talked about. He called it mammon. Mammon, we're going to talk about what that means in a minute, but every time I use the word mammon, if you want to supply a word money, you're pretty close to that. That's a synonymous term almost. 
Mammon is not exactly like money, although mammon involves money and riches, and it's the clamoring for stuff, but not just stuff to have. It's much more base than that. It's much more foundational than that. It's clamoring for stuff and money to provide for us a sense of security, which is a good thing, but a sense of security that ultimately is based on the money and the stuff and not God, which is a bad thing. But what mammon does, the spiritual impact of mammon, Jesus said, would be the number one competitor for your heart. Mammon, money, stuff, things would be the number one competitor for your heart against God's place in your heart. Now, we're going into a holiday season where we're going to be spending money. We're going to be giving gifts. There's going to be generosity all around. So this is a great time to talk about this because our whole culture rallies around the idea of generosity and giving instead of getting, making a difference, not just receiving. Even in the gift giving we're going to do with our kids, when you're going to give them some gifts and bless them with some stuff, you're also probably, like most good people and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends, you're probably also going to help them have opportunity to not to be a receiver but to be a giver. And in all those ways, you're on board with Jesus' basic message about the challenge of mammon in our culture. But it's more than just generosity that Jesus wants us to understand about mammon so that we are not beholden, we're not captive, we're not walking in the shadow of mammon. There's something else going on. And at the core of it, it's a simple message. You can get it in a sentence or two. The number one competitor for your heart for the things of God. The number one competitor for your heart for the things of God. The number one thing that wants to unseat God off the throne of your life. The number one thing that wants to crowd the things of God out of your heart. The number one thing that wants to consume your thinking and your contemplation and your, your memorization and your meditation. The number one thing is money and stuff. You can never get away from it. And when Jesus talks about it, he he talked about it not just as this thing that can sit in a bank account or you can pile on a table or you can put in a closet, but it's actually a spiritual dynamic. It's actually a spiritual dynamic. And the truth is, as a pastor, I know this. I've been here for 15 years at this church and 15 years of ministry before this place. Here's what I know. That when mammon, money, stuff has captivated a person's heart, there's almost always, there's almost always a corollary spiritual deficit. And that spiritual deficit shows up in some ugly, ugly ways in a person's life. And today is all about putting some light on that shadow and dispelling its lies and letting the truth of God come in and speak powerfully. But to do this, You've got to make a, an agreement with me for the next few minutes. You've, you've got to decide that you're willing to hear what the Scripture has to say about the number one competitor for your heart. And then you have to be courageous enough to look at your heart and your mind and your thinking about this subject and ask yourself a very honest question. In what sense does money and stuff have an inappropriate hold on your thinking? To say it another way. In what sense does money and stuff have an unhealthy spot in your heart? In what way does money and stuff impact your spiritual life? 
Because I'm telling you, this stuff is not about dollars and cents. It's not about the accumulation of stuff at its base. At the most foundational level, this stuff is a spiritual dynamic. And it's not always obvious. It's not always clear. But when Jesus talked about it, he made it clear that the number one thing that would drive the stuff of God away from you and keep you from walking in the light of God would be money and stuff. Now, the good news today, perhaps for some of you, is, is I'm not going to be asking you to give me any of your money and stuff. Now, I don't have to around here because people do that regularly. They believe in the work of God in this place. So I don't have to get up every week and just kind of hound people just to make budget. We don't have to do that around here which is really awesome. I don't have to do that for some of you because in your heart, you've already settled some of these issues and you're already growing spiritually and so you've got a handle on it. But I'm not talking about that stuff today as a way to give back to the church because what I want to do instead is get you free spiritually. So when I'm talking about this stuff today, you don't have to worry that I want something from you. I don't. I don't want a single thing from you. In fact, when we get done today and I'm going to encourage you to give, I am. I'm going to challenge you, in fact, not even to give to this place. Uh, you can. It's a good place to give. But I'm going to challenge you, in fact, to actually begin to break some of the stranglehold of mammon in your life by becoming a generous person on a level that maybe you've never contemplated. And if you can't do that here because you think I'm self-serving and you're able to dismiss what I'm saying because somehow I'm serving myself and I'm trying to prop up an organization and you're not about organized religion, you're just about a spiritual life. So if that's where you are, that's fine, that's fine. If that's where you're beginning, that's fine. I'm going to challenge you, though, to go ahead and become a giver and just strip yourself free of all the trappings of this place, if that's what you need to do. So before we jump all the way in, let me catch you up to the conversation we've been having. The Bible, in some examples it gives, you see it in the Old Testament in the Garden of Eden. At the temptation, you see it when Jesus was tempted by the devil. You see it in Paul's writings to the church in kind of black and white language. There are three spiritual dynamics described, and each week we've looked at them. These are things that, if we're not careful, will become roadblocks in the vital life that we're supposed to have with God. They become barriers in the relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Father. Uh, the first one we'll just call the flesh. I've been talking about it over here on the right side. This is your physical body. It's the urges inside of you. It's the mind and the thinking as well as the chemistry that goes behind you seeking pleasure. Not all pleasure is bad. A lot of pleasure is very good. In fact, God is the author of pleasure. Last week we talked about how God created sexual pleasure to uh, create intimacy in the, the, the enemy of our soul. And our own flesh will conspire against us so that the very gift that God gave us for pleasure and intimacy will experience pleasure in a way that will ruin intimacy. If you want to know what we're talking about there, you can go back last week and watch the message online. But the flesh, unrestrained, ultimately is a spiritual problem. And the flesh unrestrained is not going to actually bring you joy and happiness over time. It's actually going to bring you pain. So there's the flesh. You see it in the Garden of Eden. You see it in the temptation. You see it in Paul's writings. Then in addition to the flesh, there's this thing called the world. And this is the world's system. It's the world's way of doing things. And the way of the world sets itself up in opposition to the things of God. The world says an eye for an eye. That's how you deal with hurts in this life. But God says, no, that's not how you deal with hurts in this life. 
You don't go eye for eye. You forgive. You speak truth with grace. You work on the relationship. Two people come together and work on reconciliation. That's the way of God. The world says, get what's yours and don't worry about anybody else. But God says, we're here in community. In fact, we're a family. So the way of the world sets itself up against the ways of God. And if you're going to walk with God in spiritual vitality and get out of the shadows spiritually and let the light of God fully impact your life, you're going to have to deal with the flesh. And you're going to have to live in a world that's probably not going to encourage you in the right way. There's the flesh, there's the world. And then the Bible describes this dynamic that our modern age doesn't like to talk about at all. That you have a very personal enemy, a real entity called the devil, Satan. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that he exists. The problem for a lot of us is the Bible doesn't answer every question about him. It doesn't give us a full and total and complete systematic understanding, a systematic theology of all things devil. We don't know everything about him. We only have hints about him. But what we know about him is a pretty clear picture that we want to avoid him. But he doesn't want to avoid you. He's crouching behind corners waiting to pounce on you like a lion going after its prey. He roams around the earth seeking whom he can devour. And when he comes after you, his goals are clear, the Bible tells us. His goals are to kill Steal and destroy. You have a very personal enemy. And in fact, the Bible makes it clear that not only do you have a devil, but he is surrounded by minions, if you will. There's this demonic pantheon of demons and spiritual entities and forces that we only get glimpses of in Scripture. One of the clearest places the Bible talks about this is the book of Revelation. At the end of time, God's going to get rid of our personal enemy. He's going to cast him into a lake that burns forever. He's going to be completely removed from God's people. And all the hordes that are connected to him are going to be gone. And in the final age of time, when God is with his people, all these things are set right. Your body is made perfect, so you're not warring against the flesh anymore. The world system has been overcome, and now we live in a kingdom ruled by our king, and only the ways of the king happen so that the world system becomes fully aligned with God when God makes the world new, and our enemy is completely destroyed because Christ is victorious ultimately over all things darkness, and the light of God shines so bright that in our eternal realities, we don't even need the sun anymore because Jesus... Jesus himself shines so bright, and all of darkness is dispelled. That's where we're headed, but right now, we got some challenges. And so we've been looking at the the God of pleasure in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It was Asherah from the Old Testament we talked about. Uh, We've we've looked at uh, the God of pleasure. Today, we're going to look at the God of kind of possessions and stuff or mammon. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn with me to Luke chapter uh, 13, Luke chapter 16, excuse me, Luke chapter 16, verse 9 through 13, Luke chapter 16, you can go there on your phone. They'll be on your message notes. As a way of getting started, let me give you your first blank. The truth is, is that God and not money is the answer to our problems. We have to talk about this because you have probably, like me, come up against bears in life, and you have said to yourself, here's what I really need right now. I need mo' money. Mo' money. Now, there are times you need mo' money. I do, too. That's fine. 
Um, there are challenges sometimes in mine and Jill's personal finances, and uh, I, I've told you the truth about the way this works sometimes. We'll set to get ourselves in alignment and get movement in the right direction, and we'll really give ourselves to it. We'll make a few first steps in the right direction, and it seems like that's exactly the time that the car breaks down. We don't know why that is. I don't know if that's a spiritual dynamic or not. It might be. Um, we'll make our commitment. We're not going to spend as much at Christmas as maybe we'd like to because I can get very generous and she can be very generous and we can so much generous ourselves that we're paying for it three years later. And so we don't want to do that. And so we'll make our commitment and then we'll go shopping. And the thing that we don't really need is on sale. And so I spend money, but in fact, I saved a few hundred bucks. See how that works? I don't know if that's spiritual or not. Maybe it is. It certainly has spiritual implications. If Jill and I are walking in debt and if it's causing havoc in our relationship, number one issue in marriages around here, according to your prayer requests, money and finances. It's not true just in our church. It's true all over our country. The number one reason people struggle in marriage, the number one thing they fight about, far and away, money stuff. Is that spiritual? Is that just natural? I happen to think all of life has spiritual implications and spiritual overtones. I think the enemy of your soul, that devil, and the world system and your own flesh will conspire so that the very thing that God's blessing you with, money to meet your needs, some of your wants, the very thing God's blessing you with, he'd love to turn that into a source of constant turmoil and pain in your relationships. I think that's exactly what he wants to do with your money, the money that God's blessing you with. Turn it into a source of constant pain, insecurity, and fear, and fighting. And then this thing that God's blessing you with, the ability to earn money and to have your needs met and some of your wants met and even bless other people, that thing that could be such a source of joy and comfort for you becomes a source of pain and distraction But the problem is, is that at the root of it, our issue is not a money problem. You may have some money problems, but at the core, I think if you look at the Bible's perspective on life, at the core of most all of our problems is a spiritual problem. And the answer to most all of our problems at their core is a spiritual engagement with God. As Will said this morning, it's taking one step closer to Jesus so what, what is mammon then? Luke chapter 16, verse 9 through 13, the word mammon shows up four times in your New Testament. And one time it shows up in Matthew, three times in Luke. And the one in Matthew really is a repetition of what we're reading right here. So here's Jesus talking and the Bible says this, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous Mammon. We're going to unpack that. That's just an awkward phrase. Its meaning isn't immediately obvious. And in fact, there was a season in my life when I read this passage and I interpreted it one way. And upon further review and growing in life, I have a completely different take on this passage. And I'll walk you through that in a second. So Jesus again says, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. 
Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. By the way, that last sentence, you cannot serve God and mammon, is the one repeated in Matthew. And it's one of the few places in the Bible where something so bold is stated that, uh, in this way that you, it's either God or this. We don't get a whole lot of that in Scripture. It's either God or this. You, if you do this, you are eliminating the possibility of God. If you serve mammon, riches, and stuff, you're eliminating the possibility of having a vital and vibrant and life-giving connection to God. So if that's true, you probably want to make sure you understand what this stuff is and what it can do and what it looks like so you can avoid it. Because the last thing you and I want is to have an unhealthy, not vital, not life-giving connection to God. So again, what is mammon? So let me give you a couple blanks here. Mammon is at its root an Aramaic word. That's one of the ancient languages of the Bible. Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. And it means riches, but not just riches. In, in Aramaic, the word Mamanos, mamanos, which is the Aramaic Greek iteration of this word. The New Testament is written primarily in Greek. It has some Aramaic overtones. So mamanos, this word is not just riches, but in fact, it's like a deity of riches. In the Aramaic culture, there is this God who represents riches and wealth And like with the sexual god of Asherah, like with the power god Baal, you can sympathetically worship this god by mimicking what they bless you with. And if you worship them well, they'll bless you more. So with Asherah, you involve yourself with all kinds of sexual perversion. And in the worship, the sympathetic worship, acting like the god wants to bless you, then you can bring more blessing into your life. With Baal, you appeal to power. You do the power brokering that he requires you to do, and in so doing, you can get more power. And with mammon, you do money in such a way, you worship the god in such a way so that you get more money. Some of the history of mammon in the ancient world is lost, but he shows up most likely in the Roman god Plutus, Plutus, Plutus was the god of riches, and if you wanted to get wealthy, if you were a businessman, if you were an entrepreneur starting up, you made sacrifice to Plutus, who was the god of money, but also the underworld where so much of the money stuff came from, that was where the silver was mined out of the ground and the gold was mined out of the ground, and so Plutus had control over those minerals in the ground, and so Plutus was associated with the underworld as well. And so when Jesus is trying to describe this spiritual shadow so that we can walk in the light, he refers to this understanding in his culture of mammon. And if you serve that deity, if you walk in the shadow of that deity, it's going to eclipse the light of God in your heart. And my hunch is, is nobody in this room has a little idol set up to Plutus or Mammon in their home. If you do, um, I'm not coming over to your house for Thanksgiving. I'm just saying, I'm not. 
But the problem is, is most of the people in Jesus' day probably didn't have that up either. Jesus isn't so much here talking about the active bowing down to an idol of mammon or Plutus. He's talking about the shadow reality of the dynamic that can show up in your life. It shows up in sometimes undiscernible ways at first, but over time it becomes more clear. It shows up in ways that aren't always covert. They're more hidden. In fact, the worship of mammon can show up in a lot of ways. It's not always in the continual lust for more money, but it can show up in things like envy. When envy takes away the joy of what you're blessed with because while your needs are met and you have a better life than most anybody else in the earth, you still are so envious for people and for stuff and for things that what you have is no longer a blessing to you. It actually creates in your own heart a sense of gap. And so while you are blessed, you don't feel blessed. And that envy gets in you. And envy is a big deal in the Bible. Envy is one of the primary tools of mammon to make us want what other people have. In the Old Testament, it shows up in this, this kind of language in the Ten Commandments. Do not covet, another word for envy. Do not covet. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff, their ox. I've never coveted my neighbor's ox. Their manservant or maidservant, never been a problem for me. So, so far I'm good on the Ten Commandments. The problem is the last line of that, nor anything your neighbor has. And so I'm in trouble. Right? Now this is more than just saying I'd like to have that. That that's, doesn't necessarily cross the line into envy. This is more of the, I'm a blessed man. My needs are largely met. A lot of my wants are met. And yet I don't live with a grateful heart. I don't live in the gratitude of the blessing of my heavenly father because I'm so preoccupied with what she has, what he has, what they have. And now envy has taken root in my heart and mammon's pushing the buttons. It's not just stuff. Social media was designed for this. Have you been keeping up in the last couple years with what they're saying about those of us who are preoccupied with social media? That our joy factor, our own happiness factor, is lower than those that are disengaged from social media? Do you want to know why that is? Envy. On social media, when you're watching what everybody else does, if you're not careful, what you end up doing is you start comparing the life you have, which is very blessed, by the way. We're going to talk about that. You start comparing the life you have with the highlight reels of somebody else's life. So they post their best pictures, their favorite experiences, the pictures where they're smiling, the pictures where their arms are around each other, not when they're fighting. And they post that stuff as they should. The truth is, I don't want to see your other junk. If you put a lot of the other junk on there, you're going to stay my friend because a pastor can't unfriend anybody, but I'm going to block you and you'll never know, right? So I don't want to see that stuff either, but the problem is, is if I'm not careful, I'm going to compare my real life, the life I know all the good and bad in, to the highlights of your life. Am I right? And when I do that, mammon's pressing some buttons if I'm not careful. It starts to get me to compare the blessing I have, and I don't call it blessing anymore because I'm watching the blessing that you're projecting, and I want some of that, which is natural. 
But now the door is wide open to mammon to do its work. What our Heavenly Father wants for us, who are following Him, is He wants that life that He's giving us and the light that shines in us, He wants that to produce in us a sense that we are blessed people and we are content people and there is joy in our lives for what we have and how He's blessed us. Just a few weeks ago, just Google this, new statistics, statistics came out about wealth in the world. If you make $5,500 a year, $5,500 a year, just over 100 bucks a week, you're in the top 5% of all human beings alive today. Uh-oh. Are you blessed? Are you? Do you feel blessed? Do you feel like you're walking with the favor of God in your life? The truth is, is that most everybody in this room is really blessed. Now, some of us are going through some challenges financially. Some of those we're going through because something happened in our life we had no control over. There was an illness. There was an unexpected bill. Company made a change, and you had no control over that stuff. And now you're in the middle of a thing. That happens. Most of us who are going through financial stuff are in it because of a different dynamic. We didn't obey... God's clear teaching, maybe we didn't know it, so we didn't obey God's clear teaching on what money is supposed to do in our life and how it's supposed to be managed. So I'm going to give you the crash course on how to make sure money and mammon never has the open door in your life. Here's what the Bible says about money in about five sentences. You're supposed to live on what you make. So, work hard, make a living. Live on what you make. Don't spend more than you make. Don't go too far in debt. And then give a portion of what you make to help other people in God's work in the world. That's pretty much it. Now, some of you are like me. You're a little older in, in life. Some of you are a lot older in life, and I like hanging around you. Some of you are younger, and we tolerate you. And um, <laughs> It's all good. But those of us that are a little older in life, um, you know what we'd like to tell our younger self? You probably didn't really need that thing. You probably should have kept the plastic in the wallet. You probably should not have splurged as much as you splurged. And if you had done those things 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 5 years ago, then today you would be in a different place than where you are. That's what we'd like to tell ourselves. Since we can't do that, we're telling you. So it's going to be the holiday season, and I'm going to make something perfectly clear. Some of us, because we don't realize how much mammon and stuff and money controls and how much we think money and stuff and, 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 uh, and, and toys are power in our life, we're going to spend an inordinate amount of money on people this year in hopes that what we're doing as we buy them things, it will convince them that we love them. It will convince them that they are valuable to us. It will convince them that we have stuff and we can bless them with stuff. In, in some weird ways, there's often power brokering that happens in gift exchanges. When really, it's supposed to be nothing more than a simple expression of our heart and value for them that we give out of not our debt, which is not something we own, but owns us, but we give out of the overflow and the management of our resources. We have enough then to bless 
But our culture says if you can't keep up, if you can't do the thing, then somehow you're less than, and now mammon has an open door. And it shows up not in a direct assault like the flesh often does with pleasure, a direct assault, you know, you... You deserve more pleasure. You should go after the thing. You should click on that internet site. You should have that conversation. You should go to that place with that person. And the flesh is just kind of a little bit more uh, obvious and direct. But mammon? Mammon is in the undercurrent of a lot of the human dynamics and relationships that we have. And it sets itself up in the throne of our heart against the place that God is supposed to have and creates real difficulty. And in a holiday season, look, look, look at this, in the season of love, in the season of giving, which is awesome, a lot of us are going to give. And if we were completely honest, some of the motivation for giving and some of the mechanics of our giving, motivation and mechanics of our giving aren't going to be a pure reflection of the kind of life that God wants for us. That's mammon. It's at its root a spiritual problem. It can be an emotional maturity issue. It can be an adulting challenge as well. But your gift giving at Christmas is not supposed to be the one time a year you convince everybody that you love them, that, they're a nice, that you're a nice person and you have the ability. This is supposed to be a simple expression, not a defining expression. And you know that you're over the bounds when you're constantly swiping the plastic. And some of you, in all honesty, you're still paying for Christmas three years ago. That is not God's heart for you on the money he has given you the ability to earn. And he's giving you the responsibility to manage. Some of you, like you really want to be generous people. Like, you really, like your heart's desire is to be generous. And you keep telling yourself, one day I'm going to be able to be generous. And one day when I get there, when I get enough money, I'll be generous. But the truth is, is that you're already blessed, but it's the management of your stuff that's preventing you from doing your own heart's desire to be generous with other people. That's mammon, pressing buttons. You are blessed. To be a blessing, that's biblical. But mammon gets in there and just muddies it all up. As a pastor, for me, it shows up in the most ugly way in how husbands and wives fight. Because in a marriage relationship, money is power. Can be. And whoever can control and exert force over the money often keeps the upper hand in the relationship. I'm not making that stuff up. I hear that stuff. When God says, I give you money to meet your needs, some of your wants, and so that you can be a blessing to this world that I've put you in. And then he tells us exactly how to make those things happen. Work hard, earn a living, live within your means to the best of your ability, save some money, you know, Pay attention to the way the ant works, how the ant puts away stuff in good times for bad times. That's the book of Proverbs. Don't become a slave to the lender. Don't let your eyes get bigger than your checkbook can support. And then in that management, make it a habit to give to others and to give to the Lord's work. When you do that, you've built a fortress around this insidious dynamic where money and stuff can rule your life. 
And instead of money ruling your life, you're literally managing and being a good steward of the money God's blessing you with. Here's the challenge, your next blank in our culture. We believe that we don't need God if we have money. So that sounds too direct, doesn't it? So let me say it this way. I can't tell you the number of times as a pastor when I've thought as we faced a building program or um, we were wanting to get into this place or we were launching the church for the first time and uh, I thought, man, um, we're never going to make it. Like, I, I don't even know how we, can, how we can do it. And I remember, like, I'd be sitting there thinking about how we just need more money. Like, we just got to have more money. How are we going to make this happen? How am I going to pay those bills? How am I going to... You know, one of the biggest challenges for me is when I drive into the parking lot every morning and I see all the cars of the staff and I think they're dependent on me and 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 I start telling myself it's a money thing. It's never been a money thing. It's always a God thing. And in your family, my hunch is once you get the management of money under control, which is a stewardship and management issue for you, once you get that under control and you begin to move it in the right direction, you're going to be able to see more clearly what I'm trying to describe here, that at the root of money issues is a spiritual dynamic. And in fact, some of us can't get the money management under control because there's just general disobedience in our life. And so we know God says, work, earn with live within your means, earn the money, live within your means, save a little bit and give to others and to the Lord's work. We know that with clarity. You don't need me to tell you that a hundred more times, but you haven't done anything in the last four or five years to really move that in the right direction, or you do, and it lasts about 30 days. I'm trying to beat you up. This is the button pressing of mammon. And what's at stake here is not a money problem. It's the vitality in life that God wants for you so that he can in your life and through your life both bless you and bless you to be a blessing. This is a biblical principle. It's right. Now, the problem is, is whenever you talk about money, some people get in mind um, what has been called the prosperity gospel. This is a really dangerous thing. The prosperity gospel goes something like this, and some people pastors perhaps leverage it. I don't know any personally, although I think I've seen a few uh, do it on television perhaps, but the prosperity gospel goes something like this, is if you'll give God $10, um, he'll give you 100 back. You give God $100, he'll give you 1,000 back. And it's a give-to-get routine that doesn't actually honor the scriptures teaching on money and the way that we're supposed to bless others. But in fact, it kind of encourages this greedy thing. I'm going to give and then I'm going to get. And the challenge is, is it's so close to the truth, but it's so far away at the same time. The Bible says that if you and I manage our money well, and then we'll begin to bless other people with stuff, that God in fact will bless your life. That's just black and white Bible. It really is. But my motivation is to be honoring to God in my money, not giving to get. And there's the difference. Is at the center of my heart and thinking a desire to honor God with my stuff, or is at the center of my heart and thinking the ability to maximize my stuff for myself and my own life? 
And then they can be so close. And some people can even do the same behaviors, but one is on one side of the coin and the other is on the other. It's at the root. It's a heart problem. And then there's mammon all along pressing buttons. As an agent of this evil personal enemy that you have whose goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. So mammon promises things that only God can give us. Promises identity. If you have more stuff, people will listen to you. Your name will have more clout. You'll have more influence in the place. It promises security, significance, joy, peace, love. Even I like, I like to joke about it. I, I like stuff. I'd rather have more stuff than less stuff. My classic joke on this is that I've never seen somebody crying while riding a jet ski. Never. Some stuff can make you happy. But it doesn't produce internal joy. That's the stuff that only God can give you. But mammon would love to take the place of God in your heart and prevent you from having the life God wants you to have. And remember, at the core of this is a really, really good father who wants to bless you. So he's given you the ability to earn. He's blessed you with resources. And for those of us in the room and for a lot of folks watching online... You've been put in a country where you have an incredible amount of ability to engage the process of earning and saving and having most of your needs met, if not all of them, and a lot of your wants too. So at the root of this is a question for some people. is like, is money evil? It's not. But it can be the source of a lot of evil working in your life if money has the wrong place in your heart. So Paul, in writing to Timothy, says it this way, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. In fact, money can do incredibly good things. Some people, because they love money, they have, here's what the Bible says, they've strayed from their faith in their greediness and they've pierced themselves with many kinds of sorrows. Can I tell you, when greed is in your heart when mammon is pressing the buttons. It always shows up in your relationships, not just your checkbook. Always. People who are greedy with money typically are greedy with other things. And those dynamics, when they show up in a relationship, they're destructive. And remember, God is building a family. And so the relationship dynamic, the generous heart, the I'm blessed to be a blessing, and I'm blessed and I'm grateful, all of that becomes insulators of this mammon dynamic and shadow that many of us walk through. And this holiday season, under, look at how insidious, under, under the banner of just giving instead of getting, some of us are going to go so far in debt that whatever joy we got by giving that gift and watching a person we love or tolerate for some of us open up that gift, whatever joy we got of it three years from now while we're still paying off that credit card, well, that joy is going to be eclipsed, and it's actually going to be a source of a lot of pain. This is how mammon works. This is how the shadow realities always work. They promise what they cannot deliver. The love of money actually blocks God. So number three question. So what should I do with money? Here it is. Our money belongs to God and not to us. You're a manager, so manage it well. 
I don't own my money. It's fair for me in simple language to say my money. That's, that's fine. So long as I know in my heart of hearts that it's actually everything I have belongs to the Lord. And he's given it to me to manage and engage for good in this world. Listen, not just your money. In our culture, can we give something else that's pretty precious to a lot of us? You know who owns my kids? Not me. They're not mine. They're mine. Jill, are they mine? I just want to make sure. Are they, are they really mine? I think they're mine. I'm pretty sure they're mine. But they're not mine. My kids belong to the Lord. And so what am I supposed to do? Are they mine? Can I wield? No. I manage, I encourage for the agenda of God in the world with my kids. My wife is not my wife. She's a daughter of the king. She's been loaned to me to engage, to work for good, her good, and for the two of us to bring good into this world. That's the walking in the light dynamic that God wants for us and encouragement to get out of the shadow of mammon. So as a result then is I'm supposed to invest in true riches so people are treasures and souls last forever. So when I make an investment in people, when I make an investment in souls, what I'm doing is I'm saying to mammon, you have no hold on me. I don't want to just maximize my personal bottom line. I want to leverage what God has loaned me and let me manage for his good and for the good of people he loves. And to do that, then I've got to manage my stuff well. I've got to make sure my heart is soft before the things of God. And when that happens, and when God whispers and says, do this, Ben, I have not only the ability to do it because I've been managing well, I have the courage to do it because if God's calling me to do it, I can't fail. And then I step out, and then I'm obedient, and I'm gracious, and I start building the life that deep down I really want. If I wait until I win the lottery to start being generous to people. Can I just tell you what's going to happen? All those, have you ever read up on this, on all the people who've won the lottery, where they are in 20 years? It's deplorable. Many of them are bankrupt. Many of them said the same thing you did when things were just at over, a, you know, a billion dollars again, and, and uh, the person in South Carolina, anybody have relatives in South Carolina? I just want to get to know you, if you do, because that's where the winning ticket was bought, Right? And a lot of those people who bought tickets did what I did. They, what would you do with the money? The truth is, is what you're going to do with that money is largely a reflection of what you're already doing with what you already have. That's what you're going to do, because that's out of the heart. So then giving breaks the influence of mammon. Now remember, I started out by saying, you don't have to give to me today. You don't give in the offering? Don't give in the offering. Others will We'll be fine. But if you're not a giver, I'm just telling you, and I don't want to hurt your feelings here, to some degree, you either are walking in ignorance, and now you can't do that anymore because you've had you know, a good amount of time already this morning to break ignorance, or you're walking where mammon is pressing the buttons. Every follower of Jesus is blessed to be a blessing. All of us are called to be givers. We give out of our hearts, we give out of our wallet, we give with our mouth, we give with our bodies. Our entire being is to be leveraged for the agenda of God. And the reason, the reason you and I have more than we need to live on is so you and I can be a blessing to others. 
And one of the reasons God likes to maximize wealth in believers, that's a biblical principle. If you don't like me saying that, put it on your connect card. I'll sit down with you, and I'll go 45 minutes on a teaching. And when we get done, you can ask questions, all right? It's a biblical principle that God likes to maximize wealth in believers in part so that they can bless other people. So he tells believers then to manage their money well, become givers, and then he tends to deposit into givers more wealth because when he does that, he knows he can trust them to bless the world around them. So let me tell you what I'm going to ask you to do in a small way. You don't have to. It doesn't affect me. But when you came in today, you got these little invite cards that say Eve, Eve, candlelight service. And uh, on the back, it says God loves you and so do we. Here's what we're doing this year. You don't have to, but I think it'd be a great way. It's a token thing. And uh, I can't bless everybody in the world, so when I can't do something for everybody, I like to do for one what I'd like to do for everybody, all right? So it's kind of a token thing. So uh, you can use this card, for instance. You're in the, the, the line at um, Starbucks, and you're in the drive-thru, and you've given your order, and the guy behind you has given their order, and you get up to pay for yours, and you can say, I'd like to pay for the guy behind me. You know, make sure you know how much it was first, because if they bought for the whole office, you don't want to do that. You want to go two cars back. So, you know, somewhere in the 5 to $10 range, you know, 5 to $10 range, and you say, I'd like to pay for that. And then you ask the person taking your money and paying for that, and you say, would you just give them this card when they come through? And it says, God's lo- God loves you, and so do we. Well, you don't have to give the card. You can just do the thing. But in a small token way, If we did that, our church would, in a very tangible way, be saying no to mammon and yes to this idea that when we give, we're breaking the stranglehold of stuff and money. And you're not going to break the bank with this. I'm not not, not asking you to do it for everybody, you know, for 24 hours at Starbucks, but maybe the guy behind you. Or you're at uh, Chick-fil-A, you know, I like that place. And so uh, you're there, and there's always some person with kids there buying food, and so maybe you just, you know, walk up and say, I'd like to buy your meal today, and they're getting ready to pay you, so let me, let me just do that. Well, why would you do that? Well, you know, I've been blessed, and uh, it's that time of year, and hey, here's a little card, perhaps. Now, the card on the front tells them about our Eve Eve service, so you can use it as an invite. You don't have to. It's just a tool, but what I'd love for you to do is take these, think about it, and even if you don't use this, set it in your car so it'll be a, re- a reminder for you personally And in a small way this week, let's start as a church blessing other people. Now, here's the thing. If you can't do that, that's okay. Like, if you're really trying to manage your money well, that's okay. And if, like, you're in a place you just don't have, it is okay. This is a suggestion, not an obligation. And if you, like, you know, you're not on board with us or this place or some reason you're mad at me, don't give the card because that has the church name on it. Somehow that's self-serving. So just don't do it. But for you, why don't you think about how you can, in a small way, be a blessing this holiday season and step out from underneath the mammon shadow and quit letting stuff shipwreck your life and your relationships. Start taking a step, a definitive step in the direction of managing your stuff well because it's God's anyway, and then being a blessing to this world in tangible ways with the stuff that God has enabled you to earn. And see, as you walk down that path, what God does in your life. I think it can be very, very powerful. Why don't you set aside your Connect card, and let's take a couple steps together.
as a congregation. So next step A says, today I want to make Jesus my Savior and Lord. This entire message series has been really to believers. And I must be honest with you, it's impossible to break the shadows of the enemy of your soul, the world, and your flesh without the power of God at work in your life. So the first step for you is really to have a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says that if you put your trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection and not in any work you can do, you can have a relationship with your heavenly father. We'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A there on your connect card. And it says, today I'm making Jesus my savior and Lord. Or how about next step B? Today I'm choosing to be baptized. We have a baptism coming up early in December. I already have a few people signed up. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's a great time to get baptized. Nice and warm in here while it's cold out there. And we'll give you a towel and uh, you can change clothes. But if you've never gone public with your faith, um, this is the time to do it. Next step, see, here's a prayer you can pray each morning. I'll pray this prayer each morning. God, today help me to live like you are my provider and all my blessings come from you. Wisdom and courage to be a better manager and help me to trust you with my finances. Help me to trust you with my finances. Next step D says, I'll have a conversation about how I can be a better manager of my finances this holiday season. I'm asking you to sit down with your spouse or a best friend, somebody you trust, and say, I am not managing my stuff well. Let's have a conversation about that. And just be honest and see what the Lord does with that level of honesty in your life. Next step B says, I'll use the God loves you card. That's the one that I was showing you this week as a way of expressing my gratitude for my blessings. All right? So next week, um, for seers who call this home and love this place, I'm going to lay out for you our Christmas offering. I'm going to show you exactly the amazing thing God's going to do. And where this week I didn't ask you to make an investment in this place, next week I will. So if you're not here, I know why. Uh, that's a joke. That's a total joke. But I want to roll that out for you. And between uh, next weekend and the end of January, we're going to leverage a little bit beyond our normal giving to do some incredible things. I'm going to tell you, it's going to blow your mind. And I have some other great news to share with you next week as well. So next Sunday is Good News Sunday. You're going to love it. Why don't you set that stuff aside? If you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity to give back to the Lord before we pray. And I said it about three times with intentionality. You know why it's okay to come to this church and not give? Can I tell you why? So if you're not ready to give, if your heart's not there, if you're bitter about it or somebody took advantage of you or you're struggling with the greed thing, whatever your reason, it's okay to come here and not give. Here's why. Because people around you, they don't, they don't believe the way you believe. They're not acting that way. People around you are givers. And they make this place happen. Mechanically, it takes money to do ministry. And the people around you, they pay for the toilet paper you use, the pen that was on your seat, uh, the heat in the building, the lease on this property, the build-out of our kids' space, they pay for it. And long before they knew you, before you ever showed up here, somebody paid for the seat you're sitting on. They do that because they know that God blessed them in part to be a blessing. They do that because they know that they can make a difference in this world through being faithful with their money. And so, four seers, I'm grateful that I don't have to pastor a church where I'm constantly just trying to meet budget. Don't have to do that. Thank you for believing that God has blessed you to be a blessing. It's made a big difference in this place, and lives are literally changed because of it. And we're going to pray, 
very direct prayer about money. We're going to ask God to bless our offering. But I'm going to ask him to show you this week, this week of gratitude on display, Thanksgiving, that you really are blessed and that with you and him together, your money can be a source of joy for you. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you. You're the great giver. God, the truth is, is I can go a long time without being reminded that you are the blessor in my life. And I'm the blessed one. And I can go weeks and sometimes months without even really feeling grateful for all the ways that you have shined into my life. But in this prayer, at this very moment, God, I just want to say with unequivocal clarity, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for the way you've blessed me financially, relationally. Most of all, God, I'm grateful for the way you've saved my soul and blessed me spiritually. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for being a giver. God, I pray that in this place, my brothers and sisters and I, that we would manage what you've given us to manage well. And that we would be givers who give out of the gratitude of our hearts. We'd make a difference in this world. And in so doing, we'd walk out of the shadow of mammon. God, I pray for every family in this room where there have been fights even this week about money. God, shine your light there. I pray for marriages that have been hurt. It feels irreparably because of money stuff. God, shine your light there. Father, this week, as we are in a small way being generous around this community, with these little cards, with our paying it forward efforts, I pray that your grace would be present, that seeds would be planted, that people would be drawn to you. Father, bless our offerings today. Empower our next steps. Help us to go far and wide for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.